Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. It is Tuesday, the 27th of April, 2021. Uh, Here's something that you may have missed, and it's a headline. It's a headline that I think we can work with today as Christians in the culture. So former Hawaii Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard in a Sunday post on her Facebook page wrote this. My dear friends and fellow Americans, please, please let us stop the racialization of everyone and everything. Um, racialism is what she then, uh, the, the other word that she supplies there. We are all children of God, and we are therefore family in the truest sense, no matter what our race or ethnicity. This is aloha. This is what our country and world need. She went on to explain on Twitter this. Aloha means respect and love for others. It's what enables us to see beyond our skin color and see the soul, the person uh, with them. I think she means within. So let's do our best to cultivate this aloha in our hearts and see and treat others through the prism of love, not through the prism of race and ethnicity. Please let us not allow ourselves to be led down this dark and divisive path of racialism and hate. So first I want to say um, amen, amen, and amen. Uh, you can read this in, in at Newsweek.com. You can also just Google Tulsi Gabbard, and this is probably the story that will come up. Um, and while I agree and absolutely commend uh, Tulsi Gabbard for her pro-love posts, I wonder where she imagines that most Americans are going to get this kind of prism. Where are people going to get this love prism that she describes? So she describes us as dear friends and fellow Americans, and she then describes us all as children of God. So we have to pause there and ask ourselves, is that true? Are we all, therefore, family in the truest sense? Now, that is true if we are talking about Christians. If we are talking about humanity writ large, we are all image bearers of the living God, But the Bible does not affirm that we are all, therefore, children of God. Children of God are those who are adopted into God's family through his grace presented in Jesus Christ. And so there's a challenge here for us as Christians when we parse out this language and we say, absolutely, I 100% agree with Tulsi Gabbard that we must be um, looking at the world and interacting with the world through the prism of love. Absolutely, 100%. Um, through a prism of grace, not a prism of race. No question about it. But how do we arrive at such a place if people's prism, if their worldview is not that where God reigns supreme and every person, regardless of the color of their skin or the circumstance of their birth, is an image bearer of the living God? 
So this prism of love, seeing the world through the lens of love, is a very gift of God. It is likened unto having the Father's eyes or the Savior's perspective. It's the kind of perspective that says from the cross, um, my God, my God, you know, not only praying with the assurance of God's sovereignty over that moment, but also looking upon humanity and saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Do we have that kind of love prism? That's what Tulsi Gabbard is asking without using the biblical or Christian language. And I think that as Christians, that's what we need to apply to apply to this conversation. It is the presence of the Holy Spirit at work within us because we are Christians that we are enabled to see past the circumstances of life to these transcendental realities to which she refers, this goodness, this beauty, and this truth. So let's use today the former Congresswoman's words as a way into conversations with others about how they see the world. What's the prism they're looking through? Um, How they see people, how they see themselves, how they see the issues of the day. And then share with them the prism of love through which we as Christians see things, the very love of God expressed in Jesus Christ. Let's tell them about the love of God, which is patient and kind, never envies, does not boast, is not proud. Let's demonstrate God's love as we honor others and seek the welfare of our communities and resist being easily angered. Let us tell them of a love that keeps no record of wrongs, does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Let's share with them the hope of a world where love always protects and always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres and never fails. And let, and like God, let's persevere in loving the world, a world that is desperate in its need for love. Nick Pitts joins me next. We'll be right back. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. You can follow him and communicate with him on Twitter at JNickPitts. Nick, welcome back. Why, hello, Carmen. Happy Tuesday to you. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Tuesday to you. So um, the accounting is in. We have all been uh, duly counted. It's it's, It's rare that we get to use a term like decennial, but the decennial process of, um, of counting up the people in America and then reallocating the 435 House districts, congressional districts across the country um, is now in is now in view. So talk with us about the U.S. Census Bureau's uh, report, which has finally been released and what it means for us across the country in terms of congressional representation. Yes. Uh, so, Carmen, uh, just as a as a Texan, I just need to remind your audience. Oh, yeah, you're getting you're, you're getting bigger down here in Texas. Texas is our, bigger now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everything's bigger, including our congressional delegation and our egos. And so um, uh, the U.S. Census Bureau announced yesterday total population topped three hundred and thirty one million people, which is going to result in Texas gaining two seats, which was a little um, which is one 
less than what we thought we would gain. And um, Colorado, Florida, Montana, North Carolina, and Oregon are each going to gain one seat. Now, there's also other uh, states that are going to lose some seats due to population uh, movement that's happening. Uh, so California, Illinois, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia will all lose one congressional seat ahead of the 2022 midterm elections. Uh, the new numbers represented a decrease in the population growth when compared between 2000 and 2010. What's fascinating is that the population increased 7.4% since last census. It's the slowest, but it's the slowest growth on record, or second slowest growth on record in census history. So uh, just fascinating little numbers and just a reminder um, of just the power that it comes, one, uh, by being counted within the census when it's taking place and how just a few people can make a significant difference when it comes to congressional delegation. Minnesota was only 26 people away from losing its seat and New York came 90 people away from not losing any and so uh, there's just a very there's a significant amount of uh, uh, importance when it comes to counting and and being sure that you're counted during the census. So um, for people who live in the southern states of the United States or some of the western states of the United States, like right there, uh, our perception that there's more people on the road, <laughs> our perception <laughs> is reality. Right. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, like U.S. population in in what are regarded as southern states, this this is an interesting just an interesting number just in terms of thinking about where people live. We went mm -hmm. from one hundred and fourteen point six million people in 2010 in the southern states to one hundred and twenty six million. That's mm -hmm. um, that's that's 12 million more people um. You know, just in one part of the country, I just there were things like that in here that I thought, you know, that's kind of helpful for me just in terms of how gracious, uh, you know, I need to be to new people and the welcoming spirit, having a spirit of hospitality. But then also recognizing that in other parts of the country, you know, there are probably some real opportunities if you want to move into a community. There are probably some um, some opportunities to to buy a house you couldn't buy somewhere else. Um I mean, I just there are opportunities that exist anytime there is a a population that is moving around like the one in the United States is moving around. Yeah, we're starting, uh, like you said, Carmen, we're starting to see a lot of movement, really specifically, we're seeing movement away from the north toward the south, as well as toward the west. And so uh, obviously with moves, there's there's a variety of factors. Some are going to emphasize uh, they're moving away from California because of the taxes and Others are going to emphasize, well, they're moving to Texas because of um, knowing state income tax as well as Florida. Um, it's just a, a lot more uh, advantageous from a business standpoint to be in those places that aren't taxed as highly as, say, places like Illinois and New York and California. Um, and so that in and of itself should reveal, uh, if, for those that have ears to hear, uh, should uh, reveal a conversation starter about their new neighbors that they might find themselves in or find themselves in conversations with people about the census as to the reasons why people move. All right. Um, Nick Pitts and I are going to talk about a headline that um, you probably have not yet seen or may not yet have seen, although, although it's kind of viral on social media. So Jonathan... Frostick had a heart attack. We're going to talk about why 
that particular event has been a subject of conversation in surprising ways. Rules for Living, up next. We'll be right back. Talking with uh, Nick Pitts, you can find him on Twitter at JNickPitts. So, Nick, um, anytime that, you know, there's something popping on, on a social media channel, especially one like LinkedIn, which is just an interesting place for something to kind of go viral. Um, yeah. And in view of a conversation we had yesterday with Michael Lindsay about the hinge moments of life and, and sort of big moments that come for each of us where the decision that we make in that moment has a disproportionate effect on uh, on the rest of our life. Tell us the story of um, uh, of this British man, Jonathan Frostick. Yeah, so Mr. Frostick uh, was uh, what it appears he was just a, he was a program manager at an investment bank in London. Uh, said that he couldn't breathe. His chest tightened. His ears started to pop. Realized that he was having a heart attack, um, and he wrote a little note. Uh, to his manager uh, that he was uh, <laughs> that he was after the heart attack he was going to need to meet with him because he realized that uh, that work had taken a, a, a very much a disproportional um, uh, uh, chunk out of his life and realized that he needed to reassess his work life balance and so he started to write uh, new vows going forward with his life post heart attack things like. I'm not spending all day on Zoom anymore, or I'm restructuring my approach to work, or I want to spend more time with his family. And so his posts uh, liked over 200,000 times and received more than 10,000 comments from readers that are describing their own instances where they've realized that work had taken on too much of their life and in turn they were trying to claw back their life with a set of rules uh, to hopefully place some boundaries. So, you know me, I'm always looking for those places um, in any kind of uh, uh, of conversation that people are, are engaged in in any wide way. Um, I'm always looking for those those hooks where a Christian could engage in the conversation and say, okay, so, you know, he's acknowledging that these are vows. He's describing this as an epiphany. He's talking about life being too short. Are those not openings for the Christian um, for conversations about, you know, well, okay, after this short life, there's actually a really, really long one. And epiphany is a word that we tend to use in relationship to um, a spiritual uh, awareness. Mm-hmm. And vows are something taken. I mean, we don't just make vows to ourselves. We're making vows to someone um, and so I think that there's openings here for Christians in terms of using this conversation that this particular individual is having in public and for us to have some other uh, other conversations, not only with ourselves, but maybe with our families and coworkers. I completely agree, Carmen. Just even just this weekend, I was uh, with some friends uh, over the weekend and they are uh, both very driven individuals and experiencing the the weightiness and just the realization that work is just taking on a lot bigger part of their life. The rat race, as they say, um, it's just just taking its toll on individuals and even more so during this pandemic. You know, Carmen, uh, 
Now, I bet many of your listeners can say yes and amen to this. Like the research is clear. We're spending one extra hour a day in meetings right now. And for those that are at work, they know that for every minute that they're in a meeting, they also know that that's another minute that they don't get to actually execute <laughs> on the items mm-hmm. that, are, that are found in meetings. And so just becoming exhausted through the meeting peaks, one, the lack of connection that was once found in an office is just not transferable over to Zoom. And they're realizing, okay, a global pandemic has a way of awakening us to the reality reality that life is fragile, tomorrow's not guaranteed. And at the end of the day, do I want to continue to emphasize my resume virtues to the detriment of my eulogy virtues? Which is what I think um, I love about uh, David Brooks in his uh, book called The Road to Character. He emphasizes, he says, today we're focusing too much on um, Excel, making sure that our Microsoft Excel spreadsheet is modeled out perfectly or our Microsoft PowerPoint um, uh, presentation is just aesthetically pleasing. And we've emphasized those things to the detriment of, at the end of the day, no one's going to remember you for how well you performed in Excel or PowerPoint, those are those are resume virtues. What are you doing to inculcate and to strengthen your eulogy virtues, those pieces of your character that you want spoken of at your funeral? Mm, okay, I'm, I'm typing that out. What book is that in? That's such a good question. Uh, the Road to Character. Yeah, the differentiation between resume virtues and eulogy virtues. Okay, that's and a really good I, one. And reading this, I mean, Mr. Frostnick, he had, so David's second book after Road to Character, I feel like I'm just giving you a review of these two books. That's okay. His second, okay. uh, Mr. Frostnick, uh, he had a, what's called a second mountain uh, moment, uh, is what Brooks would say in the second mountain in his book after the Road to Character. He says that there comes a time when everybody, uh, they realize that they're wanting to climb that first mountain of success, and they're going, and they're achieving, and they realize once they get to that a particular point or at the height of that first mountain, that that mountain is very vacuous. It's it, there's, there's a yearning for something more. And so then they begin the descending down the first mountain and climbing up that second mountain where it's not about success as much as it's about significance, realizing that work, uh, work and giving your life to something is more than just the accumulation of awards and achievements and a greater uh, level of wealth and affluence. But really, what is it that, that's going to transcend past me? What is it that's going to uh, make a lasting impact on this world? And some individuals, they have it when they're younger due to unfortunately a heart attack. Other individuals have it toward the end of their life when they realize just the rat race just isn't very satisfying. Yeah, there's a legacy conversation to be had there for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So um, we don't have a whole lot of time left, but I do not want to let uh, our conversation pass without noting that yesterday it became official. California Governor Gavin Newsom is going to face a recall vote, and there are some interesting people lining up to replace him. Is the Republican Party ready? Are Republican voters ready for Caitlyn Jenner? <laughs> you know, I, I after 2016, I realized that uh, making predictions about what Republican voters are willing <laughs> and wanting uh, is something that is outside of It's me. a fool's errand, man. It's a yeah, fool's errand. And so, 
I, I don't know if they're ready for her, but I, I do know that uh, she's putting, she Jenner is putting her hat in the ring, and inevitably there will be uh, interesting conversations moving forward as to what the populace of California wants. Yeah, and I think that there are, um, you know, some people are going to misgender this individual because there are so many of us who grew up with Wheaties boxes uh, featuring this same individual identified as Bruce. And so there's just no question that the kind of uh, challenge that uh, that was it jo- Joy Bearer who who faced this challenge, like referring to this individual in a way that her her mind easily goes to because it's the person she's had the most exposure to and remembers the best. Um, and so I just think there's going to be there are going to be lots of opportunities for conversation um, as the storyline in California unfolds. But I think that the fact that the people of California are seeking to recall um, Gavin Newsom, that's a storyline worth uh, worth following just in and of itself. So lots of Republicans lining up to replace him. Some names will be familiar to you. Others will not. We will follow this story as it uh, as it unfolds in the coming weeks and months. Nick, that's all the time we got today. Um, but thank you, as always, so much for joining us. We really appreciate your perspective. So great to be with you, Carmen. Have a great rest of the day. You too. We'll be right back. All right. There are a lot of things going on around the world that we want to uh, that we want to talk about. The president of the United States has designated events um, related to the Armenian people uh, as genocide. We're going to talk about that and the reaction from Turkey. We're also going to talk about the rise of anti-Semitism here in the United States. And did John Kerry, in fact, uh, disclose very, very sensitive private information between the United States and Israel with Iran? We're going to talk about that next with Luke Moon. We'll be right back. What's the temperature in your home? If the conflict's getting hot, don't give up on your team. Remember to keep the end in view. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. If the bickering seems constant, you're probably not thinking about your kid's character 10 years from now. But rest assured, your hard work today will pay off tomorrow. Help your teens acknowledge their frustrations and work through them. Teach them to see different options to their troubles, to weigh them, and then to choose wisely. In the heat of the battle, it may feel like you're losing ground. But take heart, Mom and Dad. What you teach your child today will show up in their character years down the road. Looking to make positive changes in your family? Check out the helpful resources from Mark Gregston online at ParentingTodaysTeens.org. The wise men will bow down before the throne. And at his feet they'll cast their golden crowns. Joining me now, Luke Moon from the Philos Project. Um, Luke, welcome back. Morning, Carmen. Hey, good morning. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna read the lead from the uh, from the article posted at ProvidenceMag.com. Erdogan's Turkey and the American Guilt Gap by your colleague um, Alberto Fernandez. Uh, the long overdue official U.S. recognition of the Armenian genocide by the Biden administration is a very positive event. 
Um, he then goes on to say, you know, although this is significant without a doubt, um, um, Armenians are not going to return uh, to their homelands. Their churches are not going to be rebuilt. New generations of Turkish citizens are not, sadly, going to be reared to respect Anatolia's, and I'm probably mispronouncing that, pluralistic past. So let's let's talk about what's going on. Let's talk about um, the Armenian genocide and um, and Turkey's reaction or response. Yeah, uh, it was it was quite a significant day on Saturday when when President Biden uh, recognized the Armenian genocide. You know, the, the genocide that really it's it's that moment where we actually learned the word genocide in modern vocabulary. Right? It was the genocide that inspired Hitler to try and exterminate the Jews. Right? It was it, it's it's a momentous occasion, but. It's taken a long time for the U.S. to recognize Tur- uh, the Armenian genocide because there is legal implications. And I think that's what a lot of people don't recognize is that it's not like, you know, the president can just say, oh, there was the genocide. And then, you know, there he signs some plaque and and, you know, everybody kind of goes on their way. The reality is that uh, a genocide declaration has legal implications. It for it it forces the U.S. to act in a certain way towards the parties that were involved. Now the challenge is that you know it was the Ottoman Empire. So you know there's been there's been uh, genocides in the past. Uh, you know the the you know Nazi Germany is one, right? So so you know n- the Nazi party was responsible for uh for the genocide but not necessarily the country of germany right like so they they would make these distinctions right these these uh carve outs for like well call this qualifies but you know this doesn't so the fact that it was the ottoman empire that committed the genocide and not the nation of turkey uh might you know allow some wiggle room on the legal matter at hand here um, and and so it'll be it'll be very interesting to see how this moves forward because the U.S. did also recognize uh, back at the closing days of the of the uh, Trump administration the genocide against the Uyghurs and the response from the Chinese at that situation was uh, sanctions against the United States officials and that kind of thing for for uh, you know pushing the designation. So it will be it'll be unclear the the thing that has been leading the kind of hold back and don't you know make Turkey upset is because we have treaty obligations with Turkey. They're a member of NATO. We have a very significant base uh, in in Turkey. Uh, you know, it's, you have to uh, kind of get their permission to go into the Black Sea if you want to. Uh, and all of that uh, could be made more difficult by this designation. But I think it's been a long time coming. And I'm very, uh, you know, um, this is one of those uh, moments where I'm like, well done, President Biden. Well done. Yeah, and I think giving credit when credit is due is important. Like that's um that that's that's who we are. So thank you for lifting this up. Um and you know, as as this story unfolds, Luke, as you have noted, um, you know, be sure that we return to it, that we don't lose sight of this. I mean, I really I would appreciate that. Something else that I feel like um you always help me keep uh in view is uh is the our relationship with Israel and more broadly, um, or 
or here or maybe more here at home, the relationship of of other Americans to Jewish Americans. So I want to talk about both of those thread lines. Um, the the Israel headline that is sort of glaring at me this morning is related to John Kerry. Um, so brief people in on what what is what is alleged to have occurred, uh, what John Kerry publicly denies, um, but for which there seems to be substantial evidence. Yeah, it was uh, one of those situations where John Kerry in his he has a, I guess, very positive relationship with the Iranian foreign minister, a man named Mohammad Zarif. And uh, according to a leaked uh, audio call that uh, Kerry told him, told Zarif, that uh, I, Israel had carried out 200 covert uh, attacks on Israel. Uh, on Iranian positions in Syria. Uh, and, you know, basically, and this was a, you know, a surprise to Zarif. They didn't know that that had happened, right? And that Israel was responsible. And, and you know, obviously Kerry is denying it and there's calls for his resignation. But one of the things that is, ha- is becoming pretty clear is, is that, you know, Israel, you know, if, if Biden administration pivots towards Iran at the, at the direction that's going right now and at the rate and at the desire it is, it, you know, it's going to impact the, the Israel-U.S. relation in, in, a, in, a, in a big way. And, you know, it will, it will put some, uh, a, a wet blanket over, you know, the willingness of the Israeli um, intelligence to share information with the U.S. intelligence. If that's, you know, if they can't, if, if the U.S. administration officials can't be trusted with the information, that's a problem for us. And, and it's a problem for our, you know, for our number one ally in, in the region as well. All right. And then when we talk about the Jews, um, here in the United States of America, we've seen, you know, we have seen anti-Semitism an anti-Semitic acts and an anti-Semitic spirit um, over the course of American history, but there seems to be a rising tide of it. Can you talk with folks about what we're observing? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we did at the Fields Project this last year, 2020 actually, was to, we led a campaign uh, called We Resolve, the campaign to try and get Christians to recognize and educate themselves about about Christian anti-Semitism, about the history and stuff like that. And one of the things that, that, you know, that we learned in the process of trying to get people to sign up to our pledge uh, was that kind of people broke out in, in one of two ways, right? They'd be like, Oh man, I love the Jews, but Israel. And then others were like, Oh, I love Israel, but the Jews, right? It was like they people kind of squished out one side or the other. They couldn't they couldn't love both Israel and 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 the Jews at the same time. And we like we encountered that a lot, Carmen. It was very surprising to us. And one of the things that we were, were we did as a result of that was really double down on on talking about how much uh, anti Zionism is anti-Semitism. That is the the singling out of Israel as the homeland of the as a, uh, the homeland of the Jewish people for particular uh, maligning in the international arena or holding them to a standard that no one else is, is held to. 
is is uh, a, a form of anti-Semitism, and it's it you know it's the kind of anti-Semitism that is tolerable in a lot of circles today, and it should be uh, it should be called out when it's when it's seen. So I want to talk. Um... I want to talk with you also about uh, this headline that I read out of Egypt. And I, I think that um, for the benefit of our listeners, I'm just going to read a portion of this um, of this article from Christianity Today. It says uh, the headline is ISIS executes Christian businessman kidnapped in Egypt's Sinai. So there's lots of threads to this story. Um, the subhead, and this is by Jason Casper. It's posted at ChristianityToday.com. Family mourn uh, yet celebrate the martyrdom of Coptic grandfather who financed the only church in the city uh, so as to build a, quote, home in heaven. Um, First of all, I think it's going to be a surprise to some people that, uh, you know, ISIS is still operating in this way. It's going to be a surprise to some people that they're operating in Egypt. Um, And and this person's story is precious. I mean, it's a, he's obviously a precious brother in Christ and, um, and no doubt in the fullness of, uh, of his experience of the, of the kingdom. And so we celebrate that, but um, tragic loss for his family and the Christian community there. Yeah, it's, it's, it is a, you know, ISIS has been running around uh, the Sinai basically, you know, almost the whole time. There's parts, I mean, the Sinai is vast and pretty empty uh, and there's some very kind of anti, you know, Egyptian government groups in there, and they obviously target Christians as well. I think one of the, I mean, it is such a a, a beautiful story of of you know a family. If you read the the story, it's the the family is so like they're proud that their grandfather, uh, you know, passed in this way, right? That he was. That he was martyred for the faith, and one of the things that I think is is, is important for, particularly Christians in the West, particularly Protestant Christians in the West, uh, to understand is you know often the you know the Church in the East, the Coptic Church, it's it's seen as being like oh it's just rigid and there's no spirit, there's no Holy Spirit, they're just going through the motions, you know these people are just. You know, you can't be born into Christianity. They're not really Christians. They're just kind of Christian by name only. And then there's, you know, and and, and yet when when people have these these people, these cops, or it happens with the the Iraqi Christians as well. You know, they have a gun to their head, and their last statement is a profession of Christ, right? Like it's not nothing. It's not you know, I it really should cause cause us Protestants in particular to pause our judgment of the church in the East. They have a much more difficult time than we do in the United States and, uh, and have struggled with a declining church, church that is not able to build buildings. They're not able to, uh, you know, uh, enjoy just getting up on a Sunday morning and, and wandering to church without, you know, fear of knowing whether or not their church is going to be blown up that Sunday, right? That's the reality of the church in many parts of the Middle East. And the one, and, and yet those same people who do that, those same people who profess in Christ are the ones when the gun is put to their head, they affirm Jesus every time. And that's amazing. And I love before it. 
It is amazing. And I love them for it as well. I think that, um, you know, there was a time and it's just not that long ago in, in our memory when, right, these kinds of videos that ISIS released in this case, um, these kinds of videos were sort of more publicly shared by mainstream media. I mean, I think we all remember the images of uh, of our brothers in Christ kneeling in orange jumpsuits on a beach and being executed. Like, I think that is a, a part of the, the mental record that we have of uh, sort of the reign of terror of ISIS. Um we don't see the mainstream media cover these kinds of stories. I mean, this is Nabil is a man who was kidnapped some five months ago, um, executed some three, you know, well, a couple of months ago. If uh, if his timing in terms of um, his understanding of of his captivity, three months and 11 days on April 18th, if that's you know, if that's accurate, um, like I don't think that the stories of. What ISIS is doing in the Middle East now um, get nearly the coverage that they got back when we sort of all acknowledged ISIS was real and a real threat and had an agenda. And that agenda is um, to wipe Israel into the sea and then to wipe all Western countries, um, you know, as a thought after that. Uh, and so I just think that people need to be very, very aware that although we are talking about the martyrdom of a Christian brother and we acknowledge his faith and his faithfulness, um, it's important to uh, acknowledge the context of this. And that is that ISIS still exists and is still literally on a war path against Western, what they see as Christian nations. Yeah, no, it, and it's it, it's unfortunate, you know, there's this. You know, speaking of of genocides, you know, Hotel Hotel Rwanda back in the day when mm. there was a genocide in Rwanda, and there was a you know there was like a kind of uh, a, a scene in there where where you know why doesn't the, the people are asked like why doesn't anybody care? And and it was like well it's you know they might make a statement between sports and weather about this, right? Like it just doesn't it doesn't rise often enough to the level of concern and if it does it's like you know it's between sports and weather yeah you know there's a genocide over there who cares Mm. right the reality is is that these are our christian brothers and sisters and it's not just it's not just you know this one incident in egypt but what's you know the we're completely often ignore that actually the current place where the where the where Christians are are being killed at a rate that, that is is atrocious is in Nigeria, right? Mm-hmm. Like what's you know, it, or what's been happening uh, in in the Congo? Actually, the most bloody conflict in the world is is not Syria, it's in the Congo. Con- that it's killed uh, some uh, six times as many people as what has have been killed in Syria, and yet. Like there's been no hand wringing, no no one's no one's uh you know concerned about you know the Congolese refugees you know washing ashore on the on the on the shores of of Greece, right? Like it's it's a really strange world we live in where it's like mm-hmm. you know, the deaths of three million Congolese isn't rise to the level 
of of interest in our world that the death of 500,000 Syrians does. And at the same time, he you know, here's a story about, you know, an, an Egyptian grandfather and, and there's whole villages in in Nigeria that that will be where the churches will be burned to the ground and everybody inside killed and we won't even know about it. So sobering. Um I had a I had a, a humorous um, reminder story to share with you, but now I'm not sure that it's appropriate. But I'm going to do it anyway. So um, in in 2015, you and I um, were in Israel, and Tal Becker was speaking to us in an evening event. And for those who uh, don't recognize that name, um, you should. Uh, he was speaking to us in his role as a senior policy advisor to Israel's. Uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs and the lead negotiator in Israeli-Palestinian peace talks. And in my purse, my phone started talking and it was John Kerry. And I couldn't like and I reached out and I was so embarrassed and I, I have no idea like what happened or where John Kerry was giving a speech at that moment or what he was talking about. But I remember like being so red and so embarrassed. And I said, John Kerry is talking and I cannot make him stop. And Tal Becker said, you and me both. It was my my favorite moment of the whole trip. That's amazing. You yeah. and me both. Well, there you go. It was my one my one moment with Tal Becker that I will hold on to forever. Yeah, the news from from John Kerry makes us not not surprised that the peace talks between Israel and the Palestinians that were led by John Kerry didn't go anywhere. No, that's exactly that, right. That's it's all connected. It's all of a piece. All right, Luke, we got to leave it right there. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it so much. My pleasure. Thanks, Harvey. All right. Absolutely. That's Luke Moon. You can find him at the Philos Project, philosproject.org. You can also find him on Twitter, Luke Moon one We'll be right back. All right. Not everything that we um, consider urgent is actually urgent. So I think that Luke reminds us that there are things of critical importance happening around the globe today that might not have our attention because things that other people consider important and urgent steal steal the headlines of the day. And so I will remind you again, I will remind myself again, let us be people who are in the word before we are in the world. And let us consider those things that are actually urgent to God. Um, first and foremost, that would be the gospel. So let's be sure we're gospel people today Uh, even as the world is, you know, gossiping and concerning itself over many, many things. Gospel over gossip. There you go. That'll be this hour's takeaway. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.